Welcome, and thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters and Adoption with Kelly Rourke Scary, where we delve into the issues of adoption from every angle of the adoption triad. Kelly is the executive director, president, and co-founder of Building Arizona Families Adoption Agency in Phoenix, Arizona, the Donna K. Evans Foundation, and the You Before Me campaign. She has a bachelor's degree in family studies and human development and a master's degree in education with an emphasis in school counseling. She was adopted when she was three days old. She was born to a teen birth mother raised in a closed adoption and reunited with her birth mother in 2007. Our goal with the Birth Mother Matters and Adoption podcast is to spread awareness and education about the beautiful choice that is adoption. So today's topic is going to be on reunification. We've spoken about reunification in the past, and as of late, I'm getting more and more questions about my own personal reunification story, which is in a previous podcast, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we'll discuss it a little bit more later in the podcast today. And people have been interested and talking about their own reunification stories and wanting one. I am approached by people who have been adopted and they are often interested in why I started looking when I did and how I looked and what I would recommend for them to do. And so I think that this is a good way to share all of that knowledge and and begin there. I'm a little curious. Do do the people asking you about reunification, are they generally a little bit older? Yes. Okay, because generally now it's more open adoptions than right. it was back when we were growing up, for instance. Right. So, okay, that, I was just curious about. The people that have come and talked to me are 35 plus. Okay. Uh, and I was asked as recently as last week. So are you really? Guess, yes. I'm getting um, more and more questions on that. What made me interested in looking for my birth mom was I had been in the adoption field um, for a couple of years. I think it was like two, two years. And I was, you know, meeting with birth mothers and talking with them and hearing their stories. And as I previously said, I was pretty convinced that I was royalty. <laughs> and I was going to, you know, be the heiress of country you know even a small one alice oh no no no. this was big oh it was gonna be a big one this was like big one this is like (laughs) right and you know i was direct lineage to you know some huge huge person and this Mm -hmm. was going to you know catapult me right up there because then i could take my adoption story with me and you know i was i would worry (laughs) this will make you laugh i would worry that you know, I, if I had been kept a secret, you know, why is I going to out a princess, you know, that she had had a baby and place the baby <laughs> for adoption and I wouldn't want to damage or tarnish her crown. You know, well, that's probably why you held off so long. That's it. That's exactly. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, so <laughs> I, you know, I had seen all these birth moms and, you know, I really thought, you know, maybe it's time. Maybe it is time. My whole life, you know, as a child, as a teenager in my 20s. I was always surprised that I didn't open up the door and there she was. You know, I had always believed that she would find me when I was 13, 14, 15. I was convinced that on my 16th birthday, I would open the windows and there was my car with her in front of it. Right. I I was so sure that that was going to happen, that I didn't need to look earlier because she was going to be standing there on my 16th birthday with my new car. Mm -hmm. No, I kind of expected it to happen on its own. And it never did. 
Right. And that doesn't mean that she didn't want to connect with me or that I wasn't in her mind or on her heart. It just, she did it differently. And I'm going to talk about that as well. So as I am two years into the agency and I'm meeting birth moms and I'm understanding the selfless act that they're choosing, I'm more and more interested. And Mm -hmm. then my, at the time, youngest child who had just turned two or was turning two, sorry, had, they had found a a benign harmer. And I remember thinking, I have no knowledge of my family history. And so I kind of used that as a reason why I started to look for her. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, a lot of it was curiosity. And yes, I now had a really good reason because I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I was afraid that I would hurt my adoptive parents' feelings by looking for her and they would feel like they weren't enough and they were enough. So I didn't want to, you know, rock that boat. And that felt really uncomfortable. So I decided to to go ahead and start the search. So I, I did tell my adoptive family, you know what, I am going to start looking for my birth mom. I had a really good excuse, you know, with my daughter's Health benign concerns, right? Mm-hmm. And this way, you know, I didn't have to keep crossing the box and medical forms of unknown adopted, you know, adopted, you know, mm-hmm. on the medical history. And I thought, yeah, yeah, this is, this is good. This is, we got this. So what I did then is what I would recommend now. So I called the uh, clerk of the court. I was born in Columbus, Ohio. So I called the hospital that I was born at and no, I take that back. I called the, the court and gave them the information, my name, you know, where I was born and, and that kind of information and asked if my file was open by any chance. I knew it was a closed adoption, but I didn't know if something had changed. Okay. And she said that I would need to fill out this form. Uh, it was like a petition to open up my case. And if my biological mother had signed the release saying that I could find out information about her after I was 21 to go ahead and give it to me. So I filled out the form. In doing so, my adoptive dad had come to me and said, so weirdly, I reached out for you to the attorney who did your adoption because mine was done through a private attorney. And he's coming with his to meet his daughter here in Arizona, and they'd like to take you to dinner. And I remember thinking, well, that's odd. Right. The timing. Pretty okay. coincidental. Yeah. It, it put a lot of things in my head. And I'm like, that's kind of weird. Like, okay, like what's going on here? And so this attorney who was in charge of my adoption came and I met him and his, his daughter for dinner mm-hmm. uh, at a restaurant. And again, I felt really weird. Like, I don't know if TV cameras were going to pop out or, you know what I mean? Like it was just one of those weird experiences that you weren't expecting to happen. And it wasn't actually, he was just a nice, very older gentleman uh, who was interested. He didn't do a lot of adoption work, but was interested in, in what had happened in my story. And he told me that he had, um, I guess this was what they did at the time, burned all of his old um, cases. Right. So none of the information was available through him. Like he, I couldn't get any of the information. So that was a bummer. But he told me what he remembered. And that was honestly very minimal. Um, but we had a really nice dinner and he wished me the best of luck. I then went to, I had sent off the form and I was waiting for it to come back. And I called the court because I couldn't wait. That's what it was. I couldn't wait 
to find out like, am I, is this going to happen? Is this, you know what I mean? Like, are we going to do this? And when I called the clerk, the clerk said, um, actually a letter has gone out in the mail and you, we got 20 of them. And I think it was like two or three of them had signed releases. And I, I am the most unlucky person. I don't win when I do scratchers or, you know, lottery mm-hmm. tickets. I, I'm never winning. So I don't consider myself like a lucky one, you know, that is going <laughs> to get those good odds. Anyway, I did that time because she had signed the paper. Okay. And so they were mailing me the uh, birth certificate along with the non-identifying information form. And I got that, I think it was a few days later. And it was exciting because... I had this information. However, um, my biological mother had been married four times. And so the last name wasn't like I could just look at the name and pick up the phone. Right. Oh, because I a mean, I had to track down. Yeah. I was in mm-hmm. my thirties. I mean, that, that's a lot of time. And on the non-identifying information, you know, there was very little information. You have never found her based upon that. And at the bottom, she had written, um, I just want you to know I've never stopped looking for you. And she had put an old phone number. And obviously, I mean, was, the phone number was 30, couple years old. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, but I, at that point, uh, I hired a private investigator. And he gave me the wrong leads twice. And then I found her on my own faster. So, and again, it was just, I think we had spoken to her sister-in-law who, because again, when you're doing phone numbers and you're trying to trace last names, we wound up talking to her and uh, she luckily knew that my mother had, she was one of like four people that knew my mom had placed me for adoption. And so I got really lucky. Wow. And now, real quick, I want to go back to the uh, private investigator. Was that expensive? No. Okay. It, um, he didn't do a whole lot. I think he, he just, punched her name in and it, he wasn't effectual it didn't he googled her and nope nothing <laughs> <laughs> you know what it felt like um but it, it it wasn't correct and yeah that was interesting so i yeah and again i was so excited you know and then there was the big conversation of when i got to have that first conversation and that i'm going to say for another podcast because that's now looking back, hysterically funny, you know, for both of us, the way mm-hmm. that we communicated and, you know, she was from, had lived most of her life in the South and in West Virginia, and I could barely understand her, barely. <laughs> um, so it was very Speaking hard. foreign language, got it. <laughs> yes. Using words I, I wasn't familiar with, like Davenport and things like that. So right. it was it was definitely, um, it was a time, yeah. <laughs> so what I usually recommend to people is you'll know when it's the right time. Mm -hmm. At that point, it was the right time for me. My mom had done her own research per se. She had written a letter to Unsolved Mysteries, which she actually gave me when I found her. Mm -hmm. Um, They had written her back and said, sorry, that wasn't really the (laughs) Unsolved Mysteries. Right. (laughs) Um, And she had um, the name of the attorney that I had met with that we had used and her her mom had given her cause she was 16 at the time that she placed me for adoption. Her mom had given her the wrong name. She'd given her, she'd like changed the last, I think it was like 
the last name ended in S-O-N and she had changed it to like M-A-N or something like that. So okay. it wasn't right information. Now, so, do you think she did that on purpose or do you think just a mistake? Your mother's mother. I don't know. Okay. I would have loved to have asked her. She had passed away a few years before I found her. Yeah. Uh, she was the one who really wanted the adoption to go through. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know um, all the ins and outs of it. I don't know if that was intentional or not. I know it was really frustrating for my biological mom to not have, because she didn't know that she had the wrong name. She just couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. And so when I looked at it, I knew that it was wrong. Because well, I don't know. That's a really good question. Something okay. to think about. So when people call, what I suggest is, is that they call whatever court is designated that handles adoptions in the county that you were born in and start there. Find out what the process is. You know, do they have a form that you fill out and mail in? I know I had to pay a fee. I think it was like 20 or $30 for them to, to process the, the petition uh, to open up my file. I didn't need an attorney for mine. I was able to do it by myself. It wasn't hard. It was, you know, you fill in the blanks of what you know, and it really wasn't significant Mm -hmm. in terms of level of difficulty. And so you start there and see if, if there is that signed release. If there's not, I have to say all this, you know, 23andMe and Ancestry.com and all that are really providing a lot of information to people. I know that my adoptive brother was contacted by somebody through 23andMe mm-hmm. from his biological family. And that's how they reached out, was just through like the messaging system of the 23andMe. So that was really interesting. And maybe we can have him on here and he can tell his story. That'd be great. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I would say that those are two routes that you can kind of, you know, DIY it yourself, you know, mm-hmm. do it yourself. And <laughs> I think that, you know, we can become great investigators and um, private investigators. And when you do it yourself, there is some additional sense of accomplishment. Absolutely. What you need to prepare yourself for, though, is not everybody wants a relationship. Mm-hmm. In my case, my mom did. Absolutely. And my brothers were there with open arms. That's not always the case. And that's why I think it's interesting to have other people come on and talk about their experiences and what happens in those situations and how to deal with it. But my best advice for anybody is wait until you're ready. You know, they say that all things happen for a reason. I think in, in my situation, it really did. When I met my, my birth mother and my birth family, I was in a place that I was able to understand where they were in their lives and understand the choices that they had made and respect and honor their choices. And it was really, it was a good dynamic. I was mature enough to handle whatever it was going to be. And if they had decided they didn't want a relationship, I was in a place that that was okay too. Um, I went in with very little expectations and really went on the plane of, I want to know about my medical history And, and then it went from there. So did that, do you think that helped cover you a little bit, protect you emotionally, just at least having that and saying, okay, I'm doing this for health reasons. This isn't all about, okay. You put yourself in a really vulnerable position Uh when you go and, and try to say, Hey, um, I, I appreciate you placing me for adoption and I, I'm so grateful that you chose life. Um, can I get to know you now that I'm older? So, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, it's that you're putting yourself out there right. and that 
yeah, it feels very vulnerable, especially for somebody who, you know, was adopted. And and for me, it was in a time that people didn't talk about adoption like they do now. Right. And so, yeah, I think that absolutely was kind of like uh, water wings in a pool. Okay, that's fair. Another question I have is now, and this is how I've always thought of it, because mainly because of you, but the way I've heard it, it's usually the child reaching out, trying to find the parent. How often have you seen the parent? I mean, you said that your mom did look for you, but had bad information. Do you see it? Kind of, is it equal or? I've had both sides approach me. I would say the ones that are looking that seek me out to like ask questions are more so the the adoptees. Right. But I haven't had adoptive um, parents also do the same, just not as frequently. So I would say it's 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 up in the air as to who, you know, I think it just depends on where people are in their lives. Right. Okay. And That's fair. The why behind it, I think, is bigger than the person who's doing it. Mm-hmm. So hopefully those of you that are interested in reaching out and learning more about yourself and about your history and your ancestry are successful and you get whatever answer you're looking for. And maybe you're a princess. And maybe you are. I was not. (laughs) Oh, sure you are. (laughs) We have a pregnancy crisis hotline available 24-7 by phone or text at 623-695-4112. Or you can reach us on our toll-free number, 1-800-340-9665. We can make an immediate appointment with you to get you to a safe place, provide food and clothing, and help you get started on creating an Arizona adoption plan, or just give you more information. Check out our blogs on our website at azpregnancyhelp.com, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by looking for AZ Adopt Podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to rate and review us on whatever platform you use to listen to us and tell your friends about us. Birth Mother Matters in Adoption was written and produced by Kelly Rourke Scary and edited by me. Thanks go out to Grapes for letting us use their song, I Don't Know, as our theme song. Join us next time on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption. For Kelly Rourke Scary, I'm Ron Rains, and we'll see you then.